Welcome to Healing Your Families. We're starting a theme on commitment. And I want you to take a few minutes and think about your family. It could be your family of origin, the family you grew up in, or the family you created as an adult. What do they mean to you? How do, what is your feeling towards those people? I want you to reflect on that and think of your commitment to them. What commitment do you feel you owe your family? And we also need to ask the question, as we're going to be speaking generally about all families, have families been outdated? There are some who argue that they are outdated. In the 15 years I spent as a public school teacher, I heard that argument in the faculty room. That suggestion that the family has failed and now schools need to step in and take over for parents. Schools and government agencies. Family isn't working, so we need to replace them with more programs. And certainly there are a lot of challenges with families. Some that have been in place for decades and some that challenges that are more recent. So in the publication, Evidence-Based Living, published by Cornell University, it was determined that the best thing for kids, and that needs to be our focus, we need to focus on what is in the best interest of our children. Our children are our future, and obviously we need to care and protect their best interest. So this discussion on families really needs to begin with children. In their publication, they announced that the best thing for kids is a supportive environment. And they made this statement based on a, a policy statement issued by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And this is referring to major lasting problems that our families experience, have experienced and still experience, such as verbal abuse in the home, a chronic lack of affection for children, physical threats to family members, addiction problems. These problems do happen. And we have more recent challenges of an uncertain future, a pandemic, national shutdowns, people being breadwinners, being laid off of work. So how do we deal with these problems, these challenges, and protect the best interest of our most valuable resource, our children? In the past, child welfare services, and we have them in the United States, and I'm sure other nations do as well, and they, they did not hesitate to remove a child from a home when they felt that child was not safe, and that really seemed to be the best thing to do. However, they have since determined that removing a child from their family of origin can be even more disruptive and definitely more disruptive than leaving them there and providing services to support the parents. You know, 
not all parents were taught how to parent. We, we tend to parent the way our parents did, and if we were raised by effective, emotionally intelligent parents, we're doing okay. But not all of us had that benefit, and some need time to learn those skills. Maybe they need time to overcome an addiction problem or some other mental health issue. And in the article, The Child Welfare Placement Continuum, What's Best for Children, the statement was made that ideally a child at risk of abuse or neglect can remain with his or her birth family and receive in-home services designed to strengthen and support the family as long as there are no safety concerns and the family is willing to participate in the services. And this, end of quote, and this is what is best for children. The Family First Prevention Services Act of 2018 established a continuum of what is best, the best care, the best setting for nurturing, raising a child. And ideally, it's the birth family. That is the place where they deem to be most effective for raising successful children. If that's not possible, the next best is kinship care. When the child can be placed with an extended family member, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins. And if that's not available, the next best level is foster care. And the last resort is group or congregate care such as a residential treatment facility. But their conclusion is that a child should be placed in the least restrictive, most family-like environment available. And the services they can provide to support the parents could be therapy, parent education, drug abuse treatment, rehabilitation, this can be done so the child can stay in the environment they're most familiar with, with, with the people they know and love the most, stay where they feel more secure as they strengthen the parents and the rest of the family to provide that nurturing and care. According to an article published in the Lineker Quarterly, quote, Nearly three decades of research evaluating the impact of family structure on the health and well-being of children demonstrates that children living with their married biological parents consistently have better physical, emotional, and academic well-being. End of quote. So... We need families now more than ever before. There really isn't an adequate substitute. Now families have their challenges. We have many single parents. And this is ch most challenging for them because they're pulling double duty. They're providing the, providing the income for the family and also the nurturing. They're providing everything. 
Well, more than a hundred years ago, a widow was raising her four children near Seattle. And Seattle's in the state of Washington in the United States. Her, she went through many sacrifices and struggles to provide for her four children. And this deeply affected her oldest son, Jim. And he dedicated his life to creating an enduring legacy of service to children and families in America. In 1907, while he was still living at home, he started a delivery service to help provide income for his mother and his siblings. That delivery service later became UPS. Then in 1948, Jim and his, Jim and his siblings established the Annie E. Casey Foundation in honor of their mother. They started by supporting a camp for disadvantaged, disadvantaged youths near their home in Seattle. Well, Jim passed away in 1983, but this legacy continues. This foundation is still growing and providing services. And their commitment is to continue to use data and evidence as a way of bringing communities together on behalf of children and families. In 2013, they published Every Kid Needs a Family. And they outlined the developmental benefits of family. Quote, living with at least one parental figure is integral to a child's healthy development and continues to confer benefits that contribute to their success throughout life. Nurturing families treat children as individuals, leveraging their strengths, meeting their needs, and encouraging developmentally appropriate independence within a caring relationship. End of quote. And they went on to elaborate how this is true at every stage of development. For example, an infant's brain develops through positively reinforcing interactions with a consistent caregiver. They need that consistency, bonding with that individual, usually mother, father, who is providing that positive interaction. When young children are treated as individuals, they develop self-esteem and they learn to form relationships and regulate their behavior. Adolescents learn independence within healthy boundaries while using their parents as a moral compass. Young adults draw on their family experiences and relationships to support them to become self-reliant and to learn how to raise their children. Well, this report was mainly concerned about the number of group placements, the number of times children are taken out of their birth family, and questioning, are we making the right decisions here? So they found, not surprisingly, that the percentage varied from state to state, anywhere from 5 to 35% of children being taken out of their 
family of origin. They gave the, na the national averages for the United States that 84% of children were raised in what they called a family placement. Now this wasn't just being raised by their birth family, but it also included children in relative foster care or non-relative foster care, uh, trial home visits, and pre-adoptive homes. So any environment where they were living in a family setting. 14% were placed in what they termed non-family placement. Excuse me. And this included children that were placed in group or institutional care, like residential treatment centers. 2% were what they called the other, and these were children identified as runaways or placed in supervised independent living. Now, I spent about eight and a half years of my teaching career at a residential treatment facility for at-risk youth. The students were ages 12 to 18. And they were there because for whatever reason they were not able to cope with being in a traditional school. They just couldn't manage that. There were problems at home. In many cases there were mental health issues. Like many suffered from neurodiverse challenges and they had trouble regulating their emotions. Well we were trained to create the most family-like setting that we could. We were told that as staff we were to be the parents of the family. We were to, to provide the nurturing, the love, the support, the guidance, the structure, so rather than the typical classroom setting where a teacher might use intimidation to keep the students orderly, we were taught to get to know each student, learn what they cared about, what they were interested in, what their dreams were, and to earn their trust, develop a rapport, and gain their cooperation. And since the students lived there, we were encouraged to visit them outside of school when they were in their home territory. And they were supervised round the clock. So in addition to teachers, they had residential staff who taught them how to take care of their personal hygiene, their laundry, and clean up after themselves. So when they first arrived, an extensive assessment was done. Their needs were identified. Goals were set. What did they need to learn and do to be able to survive in a traditional school, return to a happy home life? And since we knew and accepted that if a student was sent home to the same environment they came from, we would see a return to old patterns. Family therapy was provided and new skills were taught to change behavior patterns. So this is what it looked like. New students would arrive in my class 
who were very angry and belligerent and, and somewhat defiant. And as I made the effort to get to know them, to learn to care about them, they began to soften. And of course, the whole staff was doing this. Everyone was helping them to feel safe, helping them to work on their goals. And they would mellow. And they would even become respectful. And just about the time they were a joy to have in class, it was time for them to go home. Because, of course, we had completed our task. That was our mission, to fill in that, that first aid service, to help that student, to strengthen those parents so that the family could be reunited. It was a beautiful process to be part of. I really loved and grew in that teaching assignment. So we know that we need families. <clears throat> they provide those basic human needs. Think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. A home is an ideal place to provide them with not only food and shelter, but a sense of belonging. And it's the best place to care for children, the elderly, and those with disabilities. And now, with, the, with our technology, we can connect around the world. We can, we can support families globally. And there are families in war-torn areas that need food and shelter, just a safe place for their children to grow. There is a global need that we can be part of. I want you to imagine for a few minutes living in a community where the parents got the support they needed that every child could be raised by emotionally intelligent parents. Parents who were aware of their emotions, knew how to manage them, could recognize emotions in others and respond appropriately. And because the adults received that level of support, they were able to raise all children. All children were raised being taught to believe in themselves, to trust their capabilities, to set and reach lofty goals, to have integrity. And they were taught compassion and had a desire to give back and serve others. What would it be like to live in a community like that? How many of society's problems would be solved? Well, I believe it's possible. I believe we can support each other and reach out to others. And that's why the theme this month is on commitment. Commitment to our families, commitment to the concept of families, commitment to the rest of the human race all peoples, all cultures, all countries. So this is the first. We'll have some fascinating guest speakers this month. We'll be talking about things such as your commitment to the other parent, whether you're married or divorced together or separate. What commitment for the sake of your children 
do you have with that other parent? Understanding your legal responsibilities. How can you provide legal protection? Money. How do you manage money? Money is such a stressful issue for every family. We'll be talking about that. And our commitment to other women of the world. I'm looking forward to this. I know it will be worthwhile. I, it excites me and renews my commitment to families, to strengthening families. I really believe we can make the world a better place by strengthening families. So, I invite you to go to my website, healingyourfamilies.com. You can get more information there. I invite you to schedule a call. I'd love to talk to you, to learn more about you and what your challenges and questions are. And join me again next week at the same time, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. So I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, love yourself and love your family. Let's make the world a better place by strengthening families. This is Emily Penrod at HealingYourFamilies.com.